0: Want the reward? Do the damn work. Challenge yourself. Inspire change. Choice, not luck. Hey everybody, Todd Crannell from Racing for Recovery. Excited to do another podcast with you all today. And I'm honored, and I don't use that word loosely, to have Kyle on with me today. How are you doing, brother? I'm lit. <laughs> oh, this is going to be good. Uh, how do I want to start with this? Let's do this. Did you ever think you would be doing what we're doing right now?
1: No. No, I, uh, I remember sitting out in the hallway watching them and stuff. I never even had the thought of, oh, I want to do that one day. Um, you know, it just kind of came to be. How does it feel to be doing this? Um very surreal kind of. Like I literally went and texted my parents beforehand, just told them thank you for the for the support and I love them. Um so I don't know, it's kinda like confirmation for me a little bit. Um and Chef Dean when he was making me a smoothie made the point of this is something that's earned, not just given. Um, so that really kind of drove it home for me. Yeah.
0: You're normally, when I do podcasts with people who are at racing for recovery, it's at least a year and I have found I may have to even add that. So kudos to you. You're coming in with over two years of sobriety and I'm interested as always, to talk to you because it's intellectually stimulating talking to. You, but on the second part, hearing your hearing your views of what it's been like to be here for two years versus the normal person I have on that has one. I'm not going to diminish one year, obviously. But let's start with why you came here to Racing for Recovery and give the folks who are watching a little bit of your journey to success.
1: So, I mean, the the way I got into recovery to begin with was... Um, Actually, funnily enough, this is the shirt that I left detox in. This blue shirt here, a little poetic justice for myself. But uh, the way I got into detox was I went to, or into recovery, I went to go see a therapist I hadn't seen in over a year. um, And I was definitely, you know, struggling in many ways. And just in the appointment itself, after I just told her everything that was going on, she says, all right, we're going to get something going for you right now, get you into treatment um so there ended up being three options that she found a one month a three month and a nine month option so i went for the three month one wasn't going to be long enough um and the three month didn't have any availability so the nine month was what i went for and it was a very um theologically based recovery Um, i was there for about four or five months and while I was there, you know, it's no phone, no internet, very limited visitation, stuff like that. Um, but I had heard about racing, and th- they're all the way in Akron, Ohio, so like two and a half hours away from here. Um, and I was thinking about racing. I was looking at it on my breaks and stuff when I would go home for, for the day. Uh, and I ended up getting discharged from there for not standing up during a church service. And it was very much like a church seven days a week, twice on Sunday kind of place. Um, And it, I can't thank them enough for the help that they they did give me. Um, It just kind of reached a point to where most of my growth was coming from me. Um, There was definitely some staff there that was instrumental in, uh, you know, me continuing to, you know, want to live basically. Um, And... So I I called up racing that day, Um, you know, came right here. And it it was funny, I remember telling my brother um, about it. I was like, yeah, you know, it says on the website, they got smoothies. And I I got here and I called my brother. I was like, hey, they have the smoothies. So.
0: That's funny. Uh, And I did not know some of that about you. So it's interesting when you talked about being forced to do something and I'm not against anything that works for anybody. That's part of our concept here at Racing for Recovery. But what's different is we don't force anything. Right. We give an opportunity for those to take our concept and make it applicable to an individual. So were you aware of that when you came here? If so, talk about that. If you weren't aware of that, how did it feel to become aware of that?
1: I was definitely aware that... You know, it was holistic. Um, I wasn't really aware that it like wasn't twelve step based or anything like that. Um, th- there wasn't really anything that jumped out at me and said, you know, it's you know strictly this way or like you need to do what we do kind of thing. Um, you know, I just saw the fitness and the health and the holistic approach, and it uh, it seemed really unique. Um, I did know going to the other place that it was a Christian based program Mm -hmm. and I was actually raised Mormon but left that when I was like 14 or so so I went there kinda thinking okay let me give this another shot and even though I'm not Christian I definitely left there with a better understanding and appreciation for what those sorts of um, you know things do for people and how it interacts with humanity and Racing does that sort of in like a a full scope if that makes sense
0: it It does, and this is where every time I talk to you, I can feel like we could go off on these tangents for yeah. hours. But this is important because I found when I was going to the traditional meetings it's very they use God a lot, which there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, and I've had other people on talking about God, which I believe in. But when things are forced. I have found that people, they get turned off about it. So I remember when we started racing for recovery and we read it at every support group meeting, it's, you can talk about whatever you want. There's no discrimination against sexual orientation, religious, whatever, because I want people to have the freedom to know that whatever they're thinking or feeling or have been through, it's okay to bring it in here as they start to grow. So one question I, I have in there about the religious aspect did you feel conflicted being raised one way? Was that part of anything that started to lead to drugs as a self-medication thing? Being conflicted in what you were brought up in believing and what you really were believing?
1: Yeah, I would say sort of, sort of indirectly, um, a little bit like subconsciously. I've never actually thought about it. Um, in that context so my my dad's side is catholic my mom's side is mormon and uh you know we had the divorce when i was about nine and then with my mom i started going to the mormon church kind of at that point pretty pretty heavily um but i remember never really feeling comfortable or like i fit in or like um it was it was something that i felt like I would pretty much just look around and it would feel like everybody was just fronting, just like putting on a show a little bit to some extent. I mean, I'm just a little kid, but, you know, looking at the adults and stuff and the other kids are not really engaged with it. They're just kind of there. Um, but there was just like an overwhelming amount of kindness and and love. And I, I definitely remember that being like kind of stand out. Um, and maybe, maybe because I didn't, feel that for myself. I sort of rejected it. Um, but yeah, I, as my early teens went, I definitely sort of, you know, took the rebel identity and like all that stuff. So it, it, I, I kind of intentionally became the opposite, if that makes sense.
0: It does, uh, relating to recovery. I know, you know, this too, and it's, there, there are people for whatever reason that try and put on they, they talk a lot, but they're not necessarily walking, as you said. I'm sure you were able to start to see that then in recovery for, for other peers that have been here. When you've noticed that in your peers, have you ever used your kindness to, to talk to them and say like, hey, you don't have to do that based on your own experiences?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd say, um, you know, as my time here went on I was able to do it more so and able to get out of my own way kind of to do it. Um, whether it's like someone being on their phone in group and like, you know, I give them, you know, a couple of minutes and then I just go, dude, get off your phone. And then kind of based on how they react to it, you know, if they give me an F you, then it's like, well, what are you even, what are you doing for yourself kind of? Or like, you know, if someone's going to like vape in the bathroom or something i I just tell them hey you don't actually need that you know i i don't go with the oh i'm calling the cops
0: yeah
1: you know it's hey you don't actually need that yeah like i know you might feel like you need that or would do better for the next half hour but you don't actually need that um and I mean, even just recently, my roommate Danny has given me like a tremendous amount of support. You know, after after the whole two, hitting two years and whatnot, I'm I'm trying to achieve my next form, if that makes sense. And as it goes, you know, there's I'm kind of chipping further and further away at the at the at self. So
0: I noticed you're uh, you had two people last night, I think, during the Racing for Recovery live stream that gave you praise for what you've been doing and you talked about Danny for a second who's also doing well and I can't wait for him to come on here I think I'll be laughing more than talking that whole time but what did it feel like last night to hear your praise from from peers
1: yeah I mean when usually when I speak it's somewhat you know I've contemplated on things and kind of connected ideas and I kind of tell you what I'm about to tell you, then I tell you it, then I tell you how I got there. Um, Or it's sort of like, if it's more personal to me, then it's kind of just like a stream of consciousness, I'm processing out loud a little bit. Um, But for that second part, to know that that is useful to other people, Mm -hmm. that makes it like greater than the sum of its parts. So it's like multiplicative instead of just additive.
0: So... I'm sure folks that are listening right now, they're like, damn, my boy's wicked smart, as I say in group. And and I'm bringing this up for a variety of reasons. And then I want you to get to some of the stuff you had written down. How you are extremely intelligent and you make me work when I'm talking to you, which I've enjoyed. You've also shared at first that your intelligence and if i get this wrong let me know but you've also said that sometimes your intelligence you would quote dummy it down or kind of downplay it or whatever and i've seen you over the past like year really accept the whole kyle and just be you so can you talk a little bit about how you it's almost like you were you couldn't accept your intelligence is how I would view it. I'm like, well, this guy has got a gift with his intelligence. What is it with that, that he's not just doing intelligent things with it, even though you were? You know what I'm saying to yeah, you, right? Yep. Yeah, certainly. Go ahead and talk about that.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the 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 core of it was, like, if if I were to describe something or talk about myself or my experience and someone would like, oh, you're so smart, or like, there goes Kyle, he's so smart, it it would kind of piss me off, um, and I, I think I saw it, like, a couple different ways of, like, oh, there's that guy, he's just smart, so he doesn't have any problems, or, you know, he's, he's smarter than me, so, like, he should be doing X or Y. Um, I think a lot of it, too, was, like, if I accept that I'm smart, then... I have no excuse for myself to give myself on making dumb mistakes um, repeatedly, let alone. And there's like animals, you know, in the wild, they they pay for a mistake once, where humans, we pay for a mistake a thousand times over, you know, beating ourselves up over it, never forgive, forgetting about it or someone else doing it for us. Um, yeah, I think... The whole and i don't know it, it was just kind of gradual to where i got comfortable with people you know proposing that i'm intelligent or things like that
0: that's good um okay i've asked you a lot of questions to start i know and i'm not surprised you came in here with a notebook um and i want to bring this up too you did say we're open to talk about anything on this so when people are listening if you hear some heavy topics well that's kyle's self-esteem really improving that you're willing to talk about some of this stuff but why don't you open it up with what you've written down and we'll let it flow into whatever it's going to do
1: yeah um so i just jotted a couple of things down here um there was some so when i did uh when i hit two years it was coincidentally on the same day as the live stream and so i approached that sort of in a perhaps I have some wisdom and I should intend to share it kind of way to where normally I approach those in a, I'm not here to teach, I'm not here to lecture, I'm here to just spark a discussion and let it burn. Um, And so I didn't, the best way I found for myself to share the wisdom was to just make statements. That doesn't mean they're true, that doesn't mean, it just means I said the words, basically. Um, The first one was that You know, there's the common trope of, well, you know, you're getting sober and you need something else in your life. You got to find a replacement for the drugs, you know, soak up that time. Um, But if you fully examine it and the series of events in your life, it's fairly likely that the drugs were a replacement for something else to begin with. So if you're just replacing the replacement, you know, you might be might not work out the best as it could um, and it's interesting because in the 10 lifestyles you don't use the word replacement you use the word alternative mm-hmm. uh, but to the point of the drugs being the replacement to begin with I think it's perhaps an element of addiction is like we don't really know what it was that we were replacing whether it be love connection attention connection with God, you know, friends, family, purpose, whatever whatever it actually was, thus we replaced it, you know, and that kind of speaks to like having that hole you want to fill. So like just as humans, we have a capacity for, for something.
0: So I hear a lot of what we call in, the, in our Cleveland book, the whack-a-mole version. Again, yeah. you're just doing it in a more intellectual level. Maybe you need to write our next book, Kyle. Um, But I also hear the concept of racing for recovery really is something's missing. We're filling it with something that's not really working and you could call it an alternative, a replacement or what have you. But, and I definitely want you to talk about your experiences with this. If you don't heal from what was causing that initial void, you can replace it with anything and it's not gonna fix it and we've seen it with people with food you know they lay down drugs they pick up food or they they put down food there's more sexual problems or gambling or whatever so you have understood that and applied it to a great deal of your success what has that been like here
1: i mean it's how do i approach it i think you know like probably at the point of being here for like three months, four months, something like that, I started to have like an experience or like realizations at times of, I would notice things in my life that reminded me of drugs, but not in the way of, of the substance or of the being high or anything like that. They reminded me of drugs in the way of how the fact that I did drugs and made shitty or I don't know if I can swear you can, you made know. Uh, you know poor life decisions, how it made me feel about myself, so whether it's watching YouTube for three hours when I know I should be doing something else, and yeah. then feeling down on myself, you know so i I reached for YouTube to feel at least better or like not terrible, and then knowing that probably on the backside I wouldn't have gotten my stuff done, and I'll just feel worse for having watched YouTube. And that was very similar to how drugs would make me feel of like oh i did this again and that says this about me and i'm like this and i'm i'm worthless um you know that was there was this guy jared at new destiny the place i was before i don't know if i um before here and after i had been there for about a week and you know got my got myself i don't know not got myself going but one day he just pulled up on me, he's like, hey, I don't ever wanna hear you say the word worthless in reference to yourself ever again. Cause that was like, you know, my one thing, that was like my main thing of like, I'm, I, I, I just feel worthless and my life is this bad at this point. So how bad is it gonna be when I'm 40? Cause it seems to just be downhill. And if I think about suicide this much now, how much more will I think about it at 40?
0: Do you want to talk, suicide is, I mean, most people know about racing for recovery know that started from a suicide. You mentioned that. Do you want to talk about your, your struggles with that or? Sure. More, just as important, I'd say is how has being here helped you overcome that? Because, and I'm going to go back to the worthlessness. You, I've seen you individually for, we haven't done it in a while, and I miss that. But I, I viewed you when you would come in and we would start talking. And the more I knew about you, I would pick up on some of these things. In my, in my mind, I was always like, what's the problem? What's the hole that you were talking about? So with respect to having suicidal ideations and overcoming them, now's where you can get into some of the, what was going on that led to some of these stuff. And I want to know how you're getting better at coping with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so the suicidal ideation, um, it almost, like, became sort of like a habit or a coping sort of thing. Um, And it was sort of like I would logically arrive at that, you know, if I'm worthless, then this and that. Um, And first and foremost, I want to say the one thing that helped me to start improving on that was just getting something going um, with the the system of self-worth and self-care, because that can be a real chicken and the egg situation, because yeah. if I'm not worth anything, why would I take care of myself? And if I don't take care of myself, how am I worth anything? Um, That's great. Very true. And and then from there, you know, the the first couple months of recovery was having that negative narrative. And the the best that I could afford for myself at that time was at least being right about that negative story to my life. And, like, that was what I would take solace in and, like, give me any sort of gusto or, like, you know, I don't know, know exactly where that came from. But, you know, it had to go from having that negative story and maybe being wrong about it. And that double sucks. Yep. And then eventually I could have a positive story and I'm probably wrong about it. then eventually I can have a positive story and I'm right about it and then you kind of oscillate going back and forth
0: this is where and again we keep talking about the intelligence factor not just in yourself but that's a trait of people who are battling addiction intelligence artistic creativity athleticism there's a lot of parallels in that sometimes our intellect can become a hindrance because we're trying to outthink this. And it's our scope of practice if you will around here that we have to be able to understand to use the intelligence to deal with our emotions with respect to our intelligence to overcome it. How how did that hmm. concept like help you cope more effectively? Cuz I hear you saying that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a poignant idea of like the emotions, you know, just, just with bare intellect, you know, I'd be, you know, not much. So with emotional intelligence, the interesting thing about emotional intelligence, they call it EQ, just like your IQ, your IQ is more or less fixed. But your emotional quotient, your emotional intelligence that can be increased and improved, and you can get better at it for yourself and for others. Um, And like, with regards to the suicidal ideation, you know, it was, I I had dealt with some amount of depression for most of my adult life, I would say, um, due to various factors, um, some being chemical, some being just circumstantial or unresolved, angst or traumas or you know, it just kind of became a part of like my worldview like, I just kind of adopt adopted like a certain victim mindset. And that was, you know, ultimately convenient because, you know, I have excuses then and things aren't my fault. And if nothing matters, then hey, at least nothing matters. So it doesn't matter if I fuck off. Hmm. Um, and so when I was 16, um, It was found in a routine gym class spine uh, spine check that I had scoliosis. Mm. You know, it was pretty severe. My spine was basically like an S and it was also rotated. Um, And so I had a a spinal fusion for that where they put a rod on either side of my spine, hardware, hooks and screws and stuff. It's a pretty gnarly x-ray. But from that initial surgery, I contracted MRSA which is basically like super staph, Mm -hmm. methicillin-resistant staphylococcus aureus, and methicillin is what you treat staph with, but MRSA resists that, that's what MRSA means. Um, And so I had to go back in, you know, the incisions bursting open with pus and blood, and we're going down the back steps, and they're trying to give me my good coat. No, I'm bleeding out my back, give me my crappy coat. What are you doing? Come on, guys, get it (laughs) together. And uh, it's the middle of winter, my dad slips on the icy steps, I let go of the screen door that I was holding, it hits him in the forehead after he just hit his back on the stairs. It was, it was a great day. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I had three subsequent surgeries where they're basically pressure washing me out with antibiotics, because you can pump antibiotics through flesh, but not through metal, obviously. Mm. Um, So they left my back open for five days to do all that good stuff. And You know, that's as much of that story uh, that I'll tell. But, you know, I started recovering and stuff. Never really, like, processed what that whole thing was for me. Um, You know, it was a real whirlwind. You know, I was supposed to go and have the surgery and be back in school within, like, two or three weeks. Ended up missing, like, the entire semester. Um, You know, the whole second half. Uh, My my high school career was kind of funny because in 10th grade I got expelled. Eleventh grade, I had the back surgeries, but then in twelfth grade, I just had enough credits to graduate early. Somehow, still, so I missed half a year every year, but still left early. Um, and so I, I, I tell that whole back story because, you know, I didn't really do anything with that. As I grew up, so by the time I'm 19, 20, you know, working to make a living, doing CNC things like that, working with my dad with his contracting business, I started to just have chronic pain, and it really was debilitating, you know, mentally as well as a little bit physically. You know, I can still snowboard, dirt bike, climb mountains, all that good stuff, but the chronic pain, it's like subvert, subversive. It's you know that little sneaky little demon that just you come to accept it and you know you talk a lot about like mental health and the mm-hmm. body and physical health and how it's all informed it's all connected and so if if my back's hurting and it's you know my shoulders are tight my low back is tight even because my spine is rotated i, I can be all, all kinds of wonky um you know the the best way I can explain it is compensation to where because it's fused, like I can't do a crunch, but I can still, you know, do push-ups or sit ups and stuff. And so some muscle groups will be overused. Some will be underused or not even used. Yep. You know, I can go through a whole day without activating my core unless I intentionally do it. So some muscles would atrophy and some would just become inflamed and overused and weak through that. Um, so the, the unmanaged chronic pain coupled with a little bit of depression already, you know, it was just a, a real recipe for disaster. Yeah.
0: Th- this is, th- and I want people to understand too, and I want to go back a little bit. You you brought up the divorce of your parents, which you said caused some depression, and I believe you were smoking pot prior to the physical problems you have which are extensive but then pain pills and opiates and all that came into play so and again go ahead Kyle
1: actually funnily enough um after the after the surgery I was hell-bent and personally resolute on not taking any pain pills of any kind um so pills pills weren't my thing it wasn't opiates anything like that not ever not ever
0: i'm then why am i bringing that up i made it i don't know okay um hmm. i've done a lot of drugs that's what's happening in my brain right now right yeah yeah because we've talked about some of it it's been a while but so then how did we're still talking about you you've talked about depression you've talked about your parents' divorce leading into some of this stuff. You go through this traumatic thing physically. Thankfully, your intelligence helped you to get out of high school. Where do you think then problems really started to arise that you ended up here? Because that, that's what I want people to understand. A lot of times mm. people look at addiction or recovery and they'll say, My loved one has a problem with opiates or weed or whatever. They're going to go to some place for 30 days. They're going to get it sorted and everything's going to be okay. That usually does not work. Yeah. So for you, I want want you to give people an understanding and an explanation of how this all arrived. Because if we're talking about trauma, just that physical thing right there, that's enough to put somebody in a tailspin. But you have a myriad of things that have led to you being here, and I want people to understand that.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, and I remember the first time that I was like, it doesn't seem like I drink like other people do. Um, I had been moved out of my parents' house for just a few weeks, and I was like, man, every time I buy a six-pack, I drink the whole thing, and like, I don't really want to that much, but I do, and so I remember going to an AA meeting at that point, and I was like, what the heck is this, a little bit, um, and... Or I remember, you know, noticing that, like, I would come home from work and just, this was when I still lived with my parents before I moved out, and I'd always come home from work and then just go hang out with the boys, you know, with the friend group, with the other people doing the same thing, you know, smoking weed, playing video games, throwing mm-hmm. stuff off a bridge, you know, rocks and stuff like that, Normal not littering. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, spray painting and you know sanctioned areas where it's totally legal and i was like well i know it seems like every day i go and hang out with the boys but i i know i could probably be looking for a, a better job or you know i could probably be you know working on the dirt bike or like doing anything um and i you know i think it became an issue when i would notice it but then like ignore it to some extent or be like, well, I'll, I'll get, get after that next time. So I kind of ignored the fire burning in the corner of the room until it engulfed the house.
0: It, it. This is a common trait with people that come in here. We're aware of what's going on. Yeah. You know, we people say, oh, I had no idea that. It, it's like we don't have an idea of what's happening under the influence of some things. If you're incoherent and you said something or did something, that I can get. But we are cognizant of that, A, we're hurting emotionally, and I believe we're pretty certain as to why we're healing. So we're aware of what's going on. And what I'm interested in now is, like, how did coming into Racing for Recovery helped, help you to not only validate what you knew, but what was the transition into living the sober lifestyle that you've been doing for the past two years like?
1: Yeah. You know, when, when I was in like my early twenties and stuff, like the coolest guy at the party was the one who, you know, drank the fastest and still stayed standing up and everything. Um, like with, with how I said, I didn't, I was aware of stuff, but didn't do anything about it. I just kind of do the opposite now. Um, and I think there's a lot of like short-term gratification that I can look for in that, but in terms of being at racing and like improving my mental health or my physical wellness or my addictive tendencies, whatever you want to talk about it, um, I say it often of like you know, the ge- healing is sort of like so you bump your elbow and you take some Tylenol for it. you don't actively notice the pain going away you eventually just notice the lack of the pain, Um, you know? So it's sort of like, I would have like stark realizations of, um, you know, someone called an epiphany, something that you, when you come to understand something that you already knew, like viscerally. Um, And like an example, it was, I remember exactly where I was. I was walking over to the center. I was like, man, I gotta clean my room because I got company coming over. And I was like, wait. I've been telling myself I should clean my room all week and then I've always put it off. But as soon as I'm having company, yeah, I'll clean my room. But they're going to be in my room for like an hour. I'm in there every day. Why would I clean my room for someone else more than I would for me? And you know, if I walk into my room and I say, man, it looks like hell in here, I'm a citizen of hell. And also your room may be an externalization of your mind. Um, and so it would, it would go from, having that realization, you know, I can't really do a lot with it then besides still just clean my room. And then eventually the next time I have the thought of, oh, I should clean my room just for my own need, I'd remember that realization, then do something about it. And then eventually you can go, man, my room's been clean for two weeks. That's crazy. I I fixed that part of me.
0: Do you see that with what you just shared right there that healing is actually occurring when you were talking about you know the the pain in the elbow and you don't really recognize it you you do recognize when you're actually changing your life and doing some stuff and that that's sobriety yeah and and people have such a misconception of what sobriety is and what it isn't I mean there's so many people that quit drinking and they're miserable and they think that that's sobriety. It's like that you're not using drugs, yeah. but you're not living the racing for recovery definition of sobriety where awareness, change, happiness, new beginnings, those are starting to come not only to fruition, we understand them, and we're really embracing the emotions that go along with them. Yeah. I remember when you I remember you had a brief moment of skateboarding, for a while you pick that back up from being a kid and I'd see you come in with your, you had a longboard, I think right. you were bringing in. Right. And I'm like, that that's what I'm talking about. That has led to everything else you're doing right now. Right.
1: Yep. Yeah. I, um, it's funny. I was here for like three or four months before anybody ever asked me what my DOC was drug of choice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was at the place before here and I was, getting ready to get shipped off to detox and everyone that I would meet's, what's your name? Oh, what's your DOC? All right, get in this box, get in the wow. alcohol box, get into this box, get in that box. And it's, it's funny with what you, you say about sobriety. Cause the first thing that I have written down here, the first bullet point is sobriety is merely just the start. You know, if, if that's all you get done, then maybe you're not, you know, going around the monopoly board. Maybe you're still just chilling right there. Um, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And you can't change anything until you accept it.
0: Or at least understand it too, right? And I think this goes back to my mix-up with thinking you were doing opiates. It's because, like, we don't talk about that. If you were in a regular treatment center for two years, I would definitively know that and the quantities and all that crap. But we don't, we don't talk about it. So that's why <laughs> I forgot about that because it's not high on our our list of treatment every day where you write down your drug of choice and your little smiley face on how you feel. You know what I mean? I'm not, that sounds like I'm, I'll I'll let that statement stay what it is. Um, what do you, what do you want to talk about next? I, I don't want to ask more questions. I want you to get the opportunity to share what you want to share.
1: Um, well, I do want to, I do want to give some praise to racing because I spent, You know, years of my life just horribly addicted to doing the hokey pokey. And you guys really helped me turn myself around. So. It's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's done a lot for me. Um, I think. How how so, Kyle?
0: What's that been like?
1: It's been. You know, as I, I shared even last night in the live, you know, when I first started it would go around, I'd have to introduce myself, I'd say, my name Kyle. You know, to be cold and unapproachable and mysterious and a badass and hard ass and all that good stuff. And I did that to push people away where as a community without, a, you know, having a let's help Kyle out meeting, everyone just collectively st- started to be like, oh, that's, that's Kyle, that's how he introduces himself. Like, that's, that's a part of him. And they would like, you know, expect it or like giggle a little bit in like a yeah, that's Kyle, he's doing his thing kind of way, to where it became like a positive from other people. Then I started to see it as a positive. And that's like an example of the we'll love you until you can love yourself kind of thing. Because, you know, if if I had to sum my recovery gig up into one thing, it would be just that I've established a relationship with self. And it's positive. Like, before it was always um, condemnation, self-condemnation. And that would be where a lot of stuff, you know, the self-destructive stuff would come from. And to me, the difference between conviction and condemnation is when you're convicted, you feel, okay, I'm, I'm doing something and I can do better. Where condemn is I'm doing something and I should be punished for it.
0: You you brought up worthlessness before. You have not referred to yourself that now. And I'm going to go back to last night's support group meeting. I haven't ran the meeting in a – it's been a long time. Actually, in the, over the past year, I think I've done it twice, maybe three times. But what I what I did realize in there when you spoke and practically everybody, the emotions – People were evoking a lot of emotion in there, which I love. If I'm running a group and somebody evokes emotion, they learn something and they laugh, that's an awesome group. But some of this stuff, I kept sitting there going, these feelings that are being shared now are exactly why I started this you know, 22 years ago or whatever. It's the same thing. It's being okay with self. It's sharing the growth of self. And if, especially for guys, if there's emotions involved, And people are, you know, men specifically are showing tears or or emotional struggles, which is a good thing, just letting it flow. When, you know, Mr. Keith was crying in there at 82 years old about how this place has helped his son, riveting. And I noticed a couple other people were in awe of, you know, Grace being 86 years old and learning how not to be an enabler in here. So to me, it's everything that encompasses healing is understanding what the problem is and then doing what it takes to intellectually understand that emotionally heal from it and be at peace yeah and I I just keep hearing you resonate that again today and I'm proud of you for that
1: yeah I'll put um you know even a little bit more forward with that when there's not self-acceptance and you know there's condemnation negative emotions, stuff like that just with like the structure of the brain and how memory and things work, you know, when we remember something and access a memory and the those neurons fire that branch in the brain, every time you know there's neuroplasticity, things mm-hmm. like that, every time you remember something, you're either strengthening or modifying that memory. And when that's done, you know with a negative perspective, just, for instance, with with my spine and things, I, I had the back surgery, the MRSA happened, all that good stuff. I was sp- supposed to get the surgery, and the hardware was going to stay in forever. That was the actual intended plan. Somehow, throughout my 20s, I came to believe that be- I was supposed to have the hardware in and then it was gonna be taken out after a year, but because of the MRSA, it got left in. And so it was this whole v- extra victimhood and this this whole thing that got twisted just based off of something I heard a doctor say to where if they couldn't get the MRSA under control and save my life, they would have to take it out. But it through my, you know, negative perspective and stuff, I warped that to this like. Extra victimhood, extra negative. Like so, it just compounds.
0: I'm going to ask you this as we're, we well, still got some time left. I hear, and maybe you don't, I hear this being a subconscious issue, which I've been mm. reading a lot about. I love when you talk about that. That to me seems one of those subconscious things that we get in there and it sticks. And I didn't fully understand how powerful the subconscious mind is over the conscious. That's really what dictates all this stuff. So even back to you think of trauma, whether it's physical, sexual, or whatever, we're programming ourselves to play that out. And that's why a lot of these, they almost become innate actions towards emotional pain. I hurt, therefore Mm. I have to self-destruct. You know, I'm thinking of suicide, therefore I have to do it. And if we can start to, to put some new stuff into the subconscious, yeah. they can take hardware out or whatever and things can change, right? I mean, you concur with that? What are your thoughts on the subconscious mind?
1: Yeah, I'd say like, you know, I just explained a negative feedback loop and I would have the same thing with just chronic pain. And then if I'm hurting, I you know want to kind of scrunch up. And then from scrunching up, I hurt more. So I'd have that negative feedback loop and also with the mental health. And even if I'm depressed, you know, you're naturally going to be more slumped and not as active. You know, you can like if I if I had to put a number on it, I'd say the subconscious mind is at least 10 times as large. And that's probably a lowball statement on the subconscious mind is at least 10 times as large as the conscious mind. You know, when you drive down the street, you're leaving out more things than you're actually taking in. Like awareness is about taking in information, but also parsing it out and leaving things out. Like I don't need to worry about the trees and the squirrels and the color of the houses. I need to look at the stoplight, things like that. And so I, I went with a negative feedback loop, but you can also do a positive one. That's what, uh, you know, healthy, positive, holistic, whatever word you want to put on it, lifestyle does for you. And at first I was like, ah, like, Another lifestyle thing, like, this is a lifestyle, that's a lifestyle, like, you know, IPAs are a lifestyle, whatever you want, um, but when I really, like, contemplated on it, like, all right, what the hell is a lifestyle? Well, it's the style of how you live your life, so, like, it's entirely unique to you, so, like, I have my own style of living, and to me, that just means something different than I have my own lifestyle, like.
0: I, I keep going, you have a smoothie... That yeah. dean made who is a success story here our our plant-based chef. I'm drinking a uh, a juice that he made. We're both not high on drugs today. We're talking about physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual healing and wellness having said all that. What would you say to somebody that's watching this right now for the first time that is in the throe of self-destruction. We'll leave it at that. It could be drugs, food, whatever. What would you say to that person to get them to come to racing for recovery and what they can expect to get out of it hmm
1: i think first i would say i love you um i would say that you know there's it's tough to take responsibility for stuff but In a way, you know, responsibility is actually freedom, because then you're not beholden to other things, then you're not the puppet of something else's goal. Um, So, you know, like responsibility is actually freedom and like making a choice to better yourself, not even better yourself, but perhaps even just try to better yourself in a way that you can actually be capable of and accomplish, like something within the realm of even just making a phone call or just even just talking to a friend about, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And I would say that things don't have to get any worse before they can get better. You know, there you don't have to crack your head off a rock bottom and then find a deeper rock bottom repeatedly until you at least like look for a rope (laughs) to climb out. Um, and then I'd say, I love them at the end too.
0: How about we do this to to close today you can either read something off of there as a a statement of wellness and healing that you've done or you can ask me a question that will lead you to make a statement of healing and wellness
1: Hmm. I'd say that it's easy for your preferred future to be an idealized version of your past, but that's a past which never truly existed, and maybe the best, path fo- po- the best path forward is something in the middle of becoming a whole new person and being just a better version of yourself. Like, some of you, you might have to burn off like dead wood in the forest, you know, because if if that doesn't happen in a forest, when there's eventually a forest fire, the whole thing goes up. A little bit of burn every now and then is good. Um, you know, that's, that's how we become, like, more whole, by, like, integrating the shadow with the light internally.
0: I can't leave it at that. I'm going to ask you one, one more thing. Where do you think your life would be like had you not come here?
1: I think, I mean, I could be dead. Like, that's certainly a possibility. Um, you know, stuff was pretty gnarly before I uh, started getting it together. Um, and I really didn't know how to help myself or, like, it. I had to, you know, I tiptoed towards something until someone said, whoa, that's pretty gnarly. Let's uh, start getting you some help, dude.
0: You know, Kyle, you're... I think of if you didn't find us, I, I believe two things. I believe you would have survived, and I, I wholeheartedly mean that. And I, I think somehow your intelligence and, and your constant quest of being open-minded of learning somewhere along the line, you would have figured some of this out. I don't, I don't know if the whole thing would have come together as quickly as it has for you had you not been here, but there's two things in that statement. I made, I think the struggle would have been even more difficult. Yeah. But in that difficult struggle, I do believe that you would have found a way to continuously keep at it. And I'm making that statement one for your betterment. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm proud as heck of you for what you've accomplished, but it's another thing that I think is in every single person that comes in here, and it's our job to help bring that out to where you guys see it so you can experience it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd be maybe 20% as yeah. far along, and I'd probably still have a, a negative narrative. And, like, there's there's just so much that racing has done for me, and the majority of it has nothing to do with drugs.
0: Nope. Oh. Well said. I'm very thankful you came on here today, dude. I appreciate it. Likewise. Until next time, America, or if you're watching around the world, um, share Kyle's podcast. It was powerful. I know you know that because you just watched that. And if you need help from us, we are here, racingforrecovery.org or 419-824-8462. Until we see you again, be sober and enjoy your life.